Good morning. I figure we are the smartest people in the whole world right now because we are not traveling today, nor are we at a mall. In the day, I kind of have some sympathy for what is actually exists, and that is Thanksgiving hotlines. Did you guys know that those are actually out there? Of course, we probably don't use them as much since we have the internet, but back in the day, they were probably a little bit more prevalent. And um, and I've got some different slices of, of some of the calls that were made in from different places in the United States this past week. And this first one must have come somewhere probably in Texas. I'm a Texan, but I, I can make fun of them too a little bit. Um, a lady called to find out how much that she would actually have to, how long she needed to roast her turkey. And, of course, the logical question the guy asked, well, how much does it weigh? And she said, I don't know because I still haven't caught it yet. All right? It's still running around out there in the yard. A little last minute, but anyway, he kind of just followed along with her. And I don't know if they got a scale out and they actually weighed it. And she brought it back in later. California, guy called in and wanted to know how to create a vegetarian turkey. Yeah? I actually guess some of you got that, some of you didn't. You're still thinking through it, all right? And, um, and this last one must have been in South Carolina, and it was probably some here, somewhere here in Rock Hill, and it wasn't actually a call-in, but a lady walks into the grocery store, and the stock boy's sitting there grabbing more turkeys and putting them out, and she's kind of looking and trying to find one big enough for her family, and she says, are these going to get any bigger? And he's like, no, ma'am, I think they're dead. So that was pretty much the end of it. Um, a little Thanksgiving trivia for you. And with me being from Texas, I figured the first Thanksgiving had to have been somewhere in Texas. So I searched long enough until I found something that was written that said that, whether this is actually true or not, I don't know. But in 1541, Coronado, supposedly in Palo Duro Canyon, held the first Thanksgiving. So there we have it. It's a fact if I found it on the Internet. And um, the first, we're thankful for this one, though. The first football game was in 1876, Princeton and Yale. All right, so we're very appreciative for them, and we are also appreciative for the Clemson Tigers. Uh, just had to throw that in, sorry. Um, and long before we were celebrating Thanksgiving, all right, the Hawaiians, I think, had it absolutely the best. They have this holiday way, way back when called Makahiki, all right? I, I love just saying that, Makahiki. Um, anyway, it lasted four months. No war and no work during that time frame, all right? They just sat back in Hawaii, chilled for four months, and ate. I mean, what could be better than just being in Hawaii like that? Now, for all of us that are completely stuffed and you're still trying to figure out how to devour what's left in the fridge, and just at this point, just go for it, because on Thanksgiving Day, you and I consume somewhere between 3,000 and 4,000 calories. That's a lot. Some of you did twice that much. Way to go. Thanks for taking one for the team. Um, we ate, all right, 535 million pounds of turkey. That is a lot of turkey. That's just in the U.S., by the way. Um, and we consumed close to, now, now this is a, a, a huge figure I can't imagine. And I picked this one because it's my wife's favorite part of the, the Thanksgiving meal, the cranberry sauce. All right. How many of you like cranberry sauce out there? Okay, good. All right. So the cranberry sauce, um, and I'm gonna, I, I'm kind of using this as a reason this morning because it fits in with what I'm gonna be talking about later in my message. Um, we consumed five million sixty-two thousand five hundred 
gallons, gallons of cranberry sauce. That is a lot of cranberry sauce. And I want you just to think for just a second how many cranberries that would take because it takes 450 cranberries just to make a pound. All right? That's a bunch. It took 200 to make that little jellied can that you cranked out on Thanksgiving for lunch. All right? And by the way, that is the preferred method of cranberry sauce. It's the jellied can, not the, the whole pieces. So just for whatever whatever that's worth. The reason I pick it, the cranberry this morning, I kind of I kind of throw it in is because one or two cranberries can make a salad taste pretty awesome, doesn't it? But then as a whole, you take a bunch of them and you get something like cranberry jelly, which is pretty awesome for Thanksgiving. And so one little cranberry can make a difference. And later on, I'm going to talk about how you and I can make that kind of a difference too. Now, before we before we move away from this intro this morning, this this turkey intro, I have our segue. You are you are now officially free to go start celebrating Christmas. All right, because I have a little poem for you that will help you transition from turkey into um, from from Turkey Day into Christmas Day. All right. This is entitled "The Turkey Popped Out of the Oven." The turkey popped out of the oven and rocketed into the air. It knocked every plate off the table and partly demolished a chair. It ricocheted into a corner and it burst with a deafening boom, then splattered all over the kitchen, completely obscuring the room. It stuck to the walls and the windows and it totally coated the floor. There was turkey attached to the ceiling that had never been where turkey was before. It blanketed every appliance. It smeared every saucer and bowl, and there wasn't a way I could stop it. The turkey was out of control. I scraped and scraped with displeasure and thought with a chagrin as I mopped that I would never again stuff a turkey with popcorn <laughs> that hadn't been popped. It was a great idea. That would have been fun to watch, too. That would have been hilarious. And I'm sure some of you have your own Thanksgiving horror stories about the meal that you made that didn't quite turn out. Well, this morning, I want us to kind of turn our direction again from what David talked about. And you see on the screen, what are you thankful for? Who are you thankful for? Y'all guys filled out little cards last week. Great idea on David's side. I love the fact that he did that. And I actually went to Facebook and I read some of them. Um, it was neat to see what everybody is thankful for and the things that, that make you happy this holiday season. Um, the people that have made you happy over the years. And... As I thought through that, of course, there's, I could list story after story after story about people that were significant in our life, um, my wife and I, and just the years of ministry that we've, we've had together in places that we've been. And of course, none are probably the least important in the family that we, we get to share everything with in our lives right now here in Rock Hill. And, and I, Lala says, I love y'all, um, and I know they're here this morning. And, um, and they're probably at the top of that list. But I thought back to what was probably some of the most interesting stories that we've had over the years, and, and it's probably some of my favorite because God just did some crazy things in our lives. And as I'm sharing this, I want you to do, I want you to do two things for me. First off, I want you to think about who's been significant in your life. Who is just that person that made a huge, huge difference? I can think back to when I was in, um, I was a teenager, a lady by the name of Dorothy Howell. She was our youth minister's secretary at our church. And she would have a bunch of us over to her house all the time. 
she would feed us, and then she would spend time praying with us. Just an incredible lady. And a lot of us are in the ministry today because of her and just the influence that she had on our lives. Um, I want you to think about who yours is. And then you can even turn while you're doing that. You can open up your Bibles and go to Luke 10, because that's where we're going to be at when I wrap up the the story that I want to share from you from my own personal life. Lori and I, um, we've got to live in a lot of different places. We've served in Texas, Oklahoma. We were in Arizona, Tempe, Arizona. That was a trip. That's really hot there. Um, And we had a great time. got to serve in a heavily Mormon area, and that was just really a a lot different ministry than what it's like being out here in the South. And so we were moving from Tempe, Arizona, back to Texas, and God just kind of took us on a faith tour for about two years, where we just had to do a lot of trusting. And in the miraculous job of God moving us back to Texas, and that's a whole other sermon and another story I'll tell you another time, But um, in this particular instance, we are trying to find a house. Now, Salina, Texas, where we came from, okay, and we actually have orange paws all over Salina too, um, Salina Bobcats, and our kids thought that everybody loved the Salina Bobcats when we're driving into South Carolina and they see orange paws everywhere. They're like, they know about us. And I was like, yeah, isn't that cool? Um, So Salina, Texas, about 3,000 people, all right, and there was one flashing light, I think, if, if there was even a real stoplight. Um, there was one post office, tiny. There was one bank, tinier. Uh, there was one little pizza joint, one little hamburger joint, best hamburgers in the world, by the way, um, really good stuff. And that was about it. And almost everybody went to First Baptist Church, where I was a youth minister at, so it made, you know, growing the youth group pretty easy. But we had a good time there, but Upon moving there, we learned that property is hard to come by. This little town was kind of like a bedroom community to Dallas and Plano and all those big, huge communities where a lot of wealthy people lived. And they wanted to be able to say in Texas that they owned a ranch. So they would go to the community on the outskirts of these towns and see how much property they could afford to buy. And so some of these people would buy three or four acres, go, yeah, I have a ranch kind of funny. Some of them would get a little bit more adventurous by 10 acres. Maybe they get a couple of horses or, or something like that. But we're trying to figure out where we're going to live. And thought it might even postpone a little bit us getting there. But one of the, the people on the search team at this church that we went to, First Baptist Salina, ended up finding this duplex for us. And we were like, yeah, sure. If that's the only thing available, we'll take it. So we're going there with the kids it's a 600-square-foot duplex, all right? It's a tiny thing, all right? And for those of you that don't have any idea, that was like, you know, maybe the first apartment you ever lived in when you got married or maybe the apartment you live in now if you're in college. It was small. And to have all those kids in there was just crazy. And, of course, we learned not too long after that, it only took one night, that the train railroad tracks were probably less than 100 yards from our little duplex. And so that whole thing rattled, and it shaked, and it was really loud. And it came at the most inconvenient hours during the night. But it was good memories, almost. That place, we rolled around into spring, and it was the grossest place I think we've ever lived in in our life. 
all of a sudden it was infested with all kinds of bugs and stuff that the landlord just managed to skate by with during the, the Christmas winter season. And the front yard had a sewage problem in it, and it was just crazy. And so we just began praying and asking, God, will you please meet a need in our life and get us out of here? And so I'm telling you, property was hard to come by. No sign went up in the front of the yard when it became available. You had to literally just keep calling people in the community and going, hey, you want to rent your house out? (laughs) We'd love to come move in. And so that was the way it rolled. About that time, though, the one appliance that worked in the house really well was the microwave. It was ours. It broke. And so with little kids, my wife has pretty much reached her limit of what she's going to be able to handle in a 600-square-foot little duplex with bugs everywhere and a microwave that didn't work. And, oh, I forgot to mention, during this whole time, we're making two house payments. We still owned a house back in Arizona, and then we're trying to pay rent on the place that we lived at in Texas. And so that was just insane. We were strapped beyond measure. So when the microwave broke, I was like, ah, I don't think so. I don't know how we're going to replace that. One of the most amazing things, and this is where my message is going today, is the people that we're thankful for in our lives, all right? The people that do extraordinary things, and it may be the people that we don't even know or have a relationship with. I walked into my office that morning, and sitting in front of my office door was this big box, and it wasn't obvious what was in it. All I know is that I tried to move it, and it was kind of heavy, and on top of it was an envelope. I looked over at the secretary at our church, and I said, what's this? And she goes, I don't know. You know, and she kind of had a smirk on her face. And I was like, all right, what's up? So I go in, and I sit down at my desk, and I open up the envelope, expecting to find some kind of a letter or just a note or something in it, and still not knowing what was in the box and thinking it was probably something for the youth group. And I start pulling out a $100 bill, another $100 bill. I counted 11 of them before it was all said and done in that, in that ballpark. And I, I, I just stopped. I was overwhelmed. There was no note on the inside. There was no names. There was no nothing. And I went back out and I asked my secretary, I said, who left this? And she said, well, you haven't opened the box. <laughs> so I go and I start ripping open the box, and it was a microwave. Pretty cool. We kind of needed that. That was nice. But even more was the money that I didn't have for the house payment in Arizona. And to the dollar, that was exactly what we needed to make that house payment. I asked, I said, who in the church did this? She said, nobody in the church did this. She said, somebody in the community heard about your need. And I said, I didn't tell anybody. She said, I know. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I said, yeah, it is. It was amazing. It was cool. The house was still not cool. (laughs) Bugs everywhere. Microwave worked at least. Things got crazy. We had this guy in our community that called me up at the office one day, and he said, hey, he said, I heard you need a place to live. I said, yeah, I would love. What do you got? And he said, well, he said, we had this metal prefab building on our property that we've lived in for the last year while we've been building our house, come to find out it was a 4,500-square-foot house, very nice big house, next to their, their metal building. And he said, it's available. And he said, and if y'all don't come move into it, my mother-in-law is. So he said, do you think that you might be interested in it? And I said, yeah, sure. I, I said, probably sight unseen, I'll take it. And he said, well, why don't you come out and look at it? So we did. And just to kind of paint the picture, when you opened up the door in the corner, 
and you stepped into this massive one-room barn. Off to the left was the living room, all right, where we had the couches and stuff. And then over in the corner was a master bedroom, kind of separated by two walls, all right, with the only closet-type space or anything that was in there. And then straight ahead was the kitchen, dining room, table. The only room that had a door with four walls was the bathroom, and we were grateful for that, that it wasn't completely open. And um, above that was this loft that the kids thought was completely awesome because they could literally grab the rope that was hanging over the loft and swing out over and land on the couch um, in the mornings, which was pretty fun. They could roller skate when it was raining outside. Um, you know, just throw the skates on and go circling around the couch because it was a concrete floor. And, you know, we got past the mice and all the other crazy stuff that we had to deal with and lost cats to the coyotes and all the stuff that was happening out there in the great land of Texas. But the cool thing about it for that guy, it was even a huge blessing for us, was that he said, um, I said, well, how much? And he said, nothing. He said, just pay the utilities. I was like, wow. I can afford the house payment in Arizona until we sell it. And now I've got a bigger place for us to live because it was a big barn. And, you know, it wasn't ideal. But we, we made do. We got around. Right before we left from that spot in Texas and moved out here to South Carolina in 2001, um, our car broke down and... The guy that used to be the youth minister at that church before me still lived in the area. He called me up and he said, hey, he said, I know you're getting ready to move and everything, but he said, I heard your car broke down. He said, that's kind of bad timing, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it's horrible, actually. He said, what are you going to do? And I said, it's no big deal. I said, we'll just go ahead and move to South Carolina. I don't want to have to take, you know, an extra car with me anyway. We had to um, at the time, I think. And um, he said, well, I want to give you a car. It was an older car. It wasn't a brand new one. He was buying a brand new one, and he was giving me his old one, but he said, I've got a car I just want you to have. I said, really? I said, nobody's ever offered anything like that to me. And either I was the pity project of Salina, Texas, (laughs) or God just laid in a lot of people's hearts to do some pretty incredible things. And so this morning, I want us to turn to some scripture that preaches itself And I'm going to be short and sweet here as we wrap up. Luke 10, all right? And let's read along together. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? And he replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've replied correctly. Jesus said, do this and you'll live. Now, I'm not through there yet because we need to read the next part of the story, but here's a guy, an attorney, a lawyer, maybe a judge, someone that understands the laws of the day, and he has studied the scripture and he has been studying Jesus and he has grasped Jesus' vision, love God, love others. He nailed it. He nailed the scriptures. But this guy is looking for assurance. He's looking for justification. And what does Christ do? Christ points him to look inside, to look into his heart. He starts getting him to get past the knowledge that he has by telling a story. 
and you can continue to follow along with me if you want. And he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus jumped in with the story, and I think this is a true story. I don't think this was something Jesus just told. It's not a parable. I think this he saw this happen, and this was a man that experienced this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened by, going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he went to the other side. And to a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and moved to the other side. Man, that's shameful, isn't it? The two guys with high standards in their lives supposed to be righteous, they've set themselves apart to be something different, and they're passing by a person that's in need. And then Jesus notes that a Samaritan, now you and I know that a Samaritan in that day and age was not someone that was looked favorably upon. A Samaritan was a guy or a girl who was part of a new a new society where Christians... God followers had come and had wed, began having families with pagans. There was a mixture of some of the religion. There was a mixture of some of the beliefs and the laws and the things that were going on there. And yet the Samaritan, who probably had experienced being looked down upon, being passed over, having rough times, and he probably had somebody in his life that he was thankful for. All right? He stops, and he has pity on him. And he bandaged his wounds, and he poured on oil and wine, and he put him on his donkey, and he took him to the end. He gave the innkeeper money and asked him to look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expenses. And Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, go, and do likewise. Now Jesus just preached that sermon. That's a real easy one. But here's where I want you and I to maybe take a step off of what David spoke to us about last week in the scriptures that he pointed out to us that we need to be thankful in all circumstances. And for those of you that can't really find that you think that there are many things for you to be thankful for this time of year, I want to tell you, what I'm getting ready to tell you to do is probably one of the best things that you can do because it will help take your focus off of you and what you're struggling with, and it will help put it in a direction that I think that you'll find a lot of happiness this holiday season. Jesus asked us to follow this example, and I want you just, there's just a few things that I want you to remember to do. As you remember your story, Right? As you remember the stories of how people have done things for you and you're thankful for them, I want you to now become that person. I want you to become the Samaritan. I want you to become the guy that someone else, I want you to become the woman that someone else is thankful for. As we move closer and closer to Christmas, and here's how I think you can do this. First of all, I want you just to pay attention. All right? Pay attention. Look at the people around you. There's all kinds of needs all the time. I'm not sharing this to brag, but I had an opportunity, and it was actually even last Christmas, where 
I was in a hurry going through the grocery store line, and I only had a few things, and I got behind the wrong person. I just wasn't paying attention. And it was a family that had a bunch of kids, and they were pulling out, you know, government food stamp paper to try to pay for everything that was there. And they got to the end, and they didn't have enough. And so they were starting to set aside some of the essentials like milk and some cereal and some other things that the kids I knew needed. And I just told the lady, I said, just take those and put those back on the conveyor belt. And I said, no, I'll take care of those. That was an opportunity. The rough thing that I had afterwards is I I couldn't communicate with them real well because they were Hispanic. And I just I didn't have that ability to be able to tell them about Jesus. Um, but I did mention the name. And just like we sing about this morning, that name's important. And you and I have opportunities like that all the time. We need to pay attention. There are chances that we just don't recognize until we beat ourselves up later. So start letting your senses be a little bit more in tune. Follow Christ's example, all right? He told the story here, but Jesus also showed it time and time again. He wants you and I to make sure that we are living out what he told us to do. Act on the opportunities that are given to you. Yeah, there's some great ones that are given right here at this church. And just like that cranberry that I talked about earlier, sometimes we need a lot of them to pull off a really big event, don't we? It took a lot of y'all to pull off trunk or treat. But well done, by the way. That was amazing. Shoe boxes, well done. It's taken a lot of us to put together something big that makes a big statement. But you know what? That little cranberry is just as important when you just put a few of them on top of the salad. And you can flavor someone's life. You can give something good to them, an experience. And then as you serve them and as you give to them, don't forget to do the last thing. Say something. Share with them about the love of Christ. Tell them it's not just because somebody did something good for me that I'm giving back. I'm not just doing a pay it forward. But I want to tell you about someone that's made the total difference in my life. And maybe you even share with them the story from this morning. You say, can I tell you a story from the Bible? It's a good one. And tell them about the Samaritan. Tell them about the person that made a difference and why they did it. And it was because they loved God. I want to share one last verse with you that I think is important to all of us as we close here. Psalms 105.1. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And that's our challenge this morning. That's where God wants you and I to find courage. Maybe this morning you're here and you have, you're the guy on the side of the road. You're the one that someone's been helping and maybe you're here because you got invited. Or maybe you stumbled in and just you're looking for some hope. Well, I'm telling you, you came to the right place. Jesus Christ can make a total difference in your life. And he wants to come into your heart and he wants to save you and help you find the direction that you need in your life. The love and just the encouragement of being around a lot of people that are in this room that love God. But at the same time, there may be some of you that have been here and you've heard this message over and over and over again. 
I've seen it happen in a lot of churches, old and young, where they've heard these messages so many times that they just kind of become deaf to it. And maybe this morning you need to make that step and give your life to Christ as well so you can start following him in the direction that he wants you to and start being that good Samaritan for others. For the rest of you, maybe you've passed up those opportunities. This morning, I want to encourage you. Our staff is going to be down here at the front. You can come and just pray by yourself, or you can come and you can talk to one of us. And if you would like to accept Christ, we would love to lead you in that prayer. And to begin, what I I know would be the best holiday, best Christmas season that you've ever had. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you how it speaks to our hearts. And God, we thank you for people like the Good Samaritan so long ago because they've made a difference in our life, God. They're the ones that we're thankful for. And now, God, it's our turn. We've had a chance to show our thankfulness. We've eaten huge meals. God, we've been around family and friends, and now we need to start being observant. In this next four weeks up to Christmas and even after, God, help us to start living for you the way we should. I pray, Father, that this morning, if there's someone here that needs to know you, I pray that they wouldn't hesitate, that they would just follow that urge and come down to the front and just let us talk with them. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so very, very much.